friends, Glenn Kaler and Joe Angershik, uh, Covenant Brothers, uh, decades and decades of friendship. But uh, Glenn and I met in 1980 when we had some uh, uh, program assignments uh, for camps with Young Life, and we did those together. Uh, along the way in the Young Life journey, uh, we met Joe. Glenn already knew Joe. I met Joe in 1985, and that's when we really became uh, a threesome. So Glenn had this idea of a different kind of a small group. And uh, we had all been in groups before where we studied stuff together and read stuff together. And this was, wasn't gonna be that. Um, I think in Glenn's heart and in our hearts, none of us wanted to do the parenting journey alone. And we knew that uh, coming together, there were uh, six couples in the beginning, if I'm remembering correctly. And the idea was, uh, it wasn't gonna be like a, a ordinary small group. So uh, Glenn called it the end group. And uh, we only did two things together. We ate dinner together and then we prayed for our kids. We prayed for kids who were struggling or sick. We've prayed away bad boyfriends and bad girlfriends. We've prayed protection over this, that, and the other thing. And we've just lived the ups and downs of the parenting journey. But the, the me too factor, just to be around others who are experiencing the very same thing you are, the very same struggles, the very same, I'm not sure what to do in this moment, just gives you a sense of, ah, I'm not the only one dealing with this, and we come around each other on that. I learned most of what I know about friendship from these two guys. Um, we came together at a time in our life where um, I didn't really know how to go deep with people, uh, and I needed that in my life with peers, um, guys that could understand my journey and guys that loved me. And um, these guys both, have like PhDs in friendship. And so it was just kind of being around them and being friends with them that allowed me the opportunity to go deep. I want that. And uh, it's been so incredibly um, critical and important for mine. Well, I, I don't know about you, but um, I, the closest I've ever been to combat was a couple of paintball games in my 20s. Uh, what I didn't do after those games was invite those guys out to breakfast, you know, years later. But the funniest thing happened the other day. I was um, at the world's greatest breakfast place, Cracker Barrel, right here at the entrance of our property. Oh, shots fired? We'll talk about that later. Uh, but I was, I was at Cracker Barrel, um, and, and there was this group of guys who kind of didn't look like they belonged together, quite honestly. They, they all looked like misfits. They all kind of, there, there was a business guy who was clearly going to, um, you know, going to hop in his very nice car and drive to his probably very nice office. And um, he was sitting next to this guy who looked like he just shot a deer. 
<laughs> he was sitting next to this other guy who looked like he had just driven a motorcycle from Boulder, Colorado to Olathe. And there's another guy who was obviously going to his, you know, his, his, his workshop later. And the thing that I noticed about these guys was that there was um, a common thread throughout all of them. They all had a hat that had a similar thing on it. They all had hats that said, veteran of the Vietnam War. I, I realized these were foxhole friends. These are friends who had gone through the hardest thing that they'd gone through in life together. These guys who um, even decades after the battle felt bonded by their experience in a way where maybe these other guys at the table knew and were the only people who could know and relate to the things that they'd been through in life. These, these were their safe friends, their, their um, maybe praying friends. Maybe they were the, the people who they trusted when times were really, really tough. In the video we just saw, Tom and his friends, you know, they, they didn't face uh, warfare across uh, the, the world, but they've been in battle together with each other, on each other's side. They've uh, been on the front lines of one another's lives. They've gone through trials together. They've jumped into the foxholes together and stood not only side by side as friends, but they've also stood back to back in the foxholes of each other's lives, ready to pray for one another and encourage one another and to just be there for one another. I'm curious about you, as you think about your life, who are the people who are your foxhole friends? Your, um, maybe I say it differently, your ride or dies, you know, your safe people. The people who, um, when times get tough, you call them. Who, who are they? I'd love for you just to bring them to mind right now. Foxhole friends are at the bullseye of the concentric circles of friendship. Um, here, here's what I mean. The past couple of weeks, we at Harlem have been talking about how God's uh, designed and planned for us to be able to have uh, friendships in this life that are all about the design that God gave us. And so we, we've been saying this, that there's a couple of postures, a couple of ways that we interface with friends. And, and the outside most broad categories, we have face-to-face -face friends. These are the ones who we looked at Romans chapter 12, verse nine, that says, let love be genuine. And we saw that the word genuine means to have an authentic, real, not hiding behind any type of part, but just your real self. And so you got these friends who our call is to be honest with one another. And then we saw last week, uh, Pastor Brad told us uh, that side-by-side uh, -side friends is, are the people who are gonna bring you to Jesus. We all, we all need to have friends who are going to bring us closer to Jesus and bring us uh, closer to where he is. And then today, here's what we want to talk about is that at the center of all this is what we call foxhole friends. They're, they fight life back to back. They're on each other's sides, but they're in the battle and they've got each other. They're watching each other's six, as it were. The bullseye of friendship is a vision for the type of friend that I think will change our worlds if we can see it. And, and what I want to show us today is one verse from a very old book of the Bible. One verse uh, from a very old book of the Bible that is a, one of the wisest things ever said about friendship. And, and I, I think it's going to tell us a couple things about the surface levels of friendships. But then if we dig a little bit deeper and just take the time to mull this verse over, it actually is going to give us an aha that really has a chance to change the way you spend your days with your friends. So just hang with me for the next couple of minutes. Uh, the verse is found in the ancient book of Proverbs. Proverbs are wise sayings that teach us how to live through life. And Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 says this, if you're keeping tracks at home, Proverbs 17, 17 says this, uh, a friend loves everybody, because this is kind of a little participatory. Can you say the, the next three words together? At all times. Maybe that's a Hallmark card that you've received. Friend loves at all times. I mean, you can cross-stitch that on a thing for your friends. I don't know. You, you figure out what to do with that. Uh, the second part, not as flowery. A brother is born 
for adversity, right? So I got two little boys and they're always fighting and I think about this verse all the time and I think, should I break it up? No, brother's born for adversity. So there you go. That might explain, yeah, some of you just took a second to get my bad parenting hacks. Um, that might explain a little bit of what goes on in our minds when we think about friendship. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. What strikes me um, about the obvious nature of this, I mean, I'm going to say this and you're going to say, Dan, you really, you really went um, to school for that? Like you really got yourself a degree to say this thing? Um, but here's the surface reading of this. A friend loves at all times means, um, you ready for this? You ready? You ready? Is that the ultimate test of friendship is time. <laughs> Everybody say, oh. Thank you, because I thought that was profound. I thought that was really like shocking, right? We all have friends who, who, who we, we go through life with and we realize that time tests friendships. What strikes me as powerful about Tom and his friend's story is that they've been friends for decades. They started as people who like to hang out with high school students and teach them about Jesus. They did all the face-to-face -face stuff and the side-by-side -side stuff. And over time, that led to the back-to-back -back stuff that they just talked about in the video. By the way, the whole video is worth going on YouTube and watching. We just showed you a little clip of it. The, the, the whole idea of us being together, it started just from the, the, the simple progression of getting to know one another and doing life together. They, they did all of the, the steps, but in the midst of it all, over time, it tested their friendship and they found out that they were in it with each other. But this proverb is talking about a specific type of times. Now, I know you all walk, walked out of your house today looking at the sky and wondering if we were going to talk about Hebrew parallelism today in church. And we are, so good news. Um, Hebrew poetry is incredible. What it does is it takes a statement. This is how this, is, this, is how this works. I want you to understand how this works because this will change you. It take, makes a statement that's true and it takes another statement that's true and it uses them to shape each other. So while it's true that friendship has to stand the test of time or time tests our friendship, um, the way that Hebrew poetry, so if you're ever reading the Psalms or you're reading these Proverbs, you want to kind of get the sense of it a little bit better. Here's an easy way to, to do that. You, you look at the parallelism between it, see what the change is, and look at what's being sharpened. And in this, the, the phrase times, at all times, is, is sort of the idea. But there's a specific time that is actually in view here for friendships. And we know that because a brother is born for, new versions actually say, the times of adversity, just to help us get it even clearer. The, what's in view for us is not just all times, but Tough times. Now, how many people know that tough times will test our friendships? A lot of us, we, we walk through a tough time in life. We, 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 we walk through a trial. And we expected there to be our friends right there with us, right, right next to us. We called them up. And some of us have had the disappointing moments of going through a hard thing. And the friend that we thought was going to be there wasn't there for us. That's so tough. We've also had an interesting experience on the positive side where the people maybe we didn't count in our closest circle showed up for us in a moment when we really needed someone and it was incredibly helpful. You see, trials tell on our friends. Trials tell on our friends. They tell us what type of friends we actually have. And you know this. Uh, we learned this growing up in middle school and high school. Remember um, you felt when your best friends in middle school and high school, I've got kids that are all in elementary school right now and they're learning that friendships change. 
Um, if you're someone who's the life of the party or you really love to have people around you, this is a really difficult thing because friendships change. Times change, situations change. And the people that you started kindergarten with are seldom the people that you're high-fiving at your senior year graduation party. And in the midst of that, you know, situations come up and maybe for all of us, it was our schedule. Our friends, you know, joined the basketball team and we joined the football team and just the, the differences and the distance of those schedules pushed us farther and farther apart. And, and we drifted away from our friends. And I want you to hear this today. That's, that's a little bit, that's a little bit normal. Even Jesus experienced this, right? He had some 72 followers. Maybe he had over 100. We don't exactly, we don't exactly know. But Jesus, <clears throat> if you're a Jesus follower, just think about this. He picked 12, right? Someone put on Twitter today and one of our team members captured it and sent it to me as a, as a joke. But they, this is what the snarky thing on Twitter was, is that not enough pastors talk about the miracle of Jesus where he had 12 really close friends in his 30s. I mean, you laugh because you know this is true. It's that time tests friendships and tough times test friendships. And this verse tells us that a friend loves all times, and a brother is born for adversity, for the hardest of times. There's a book in the Bible, another book in the Bible, and I'm not going to jump into this too deeply, but it's one of the oldest pieces of writing that we have that's even collected into the, what we call the Bible. It's the book of Job. Job was a good dude who God allowed to suffer. One day at Heartland, we're actually going to walk through the book of Job together because it asks the very, you know, the perennially relevant question of why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? There's great answers about this question in the book of Job. And um, God, uh, in this story, Job's story, God's accuser, accuser is the word Satan. We, we, we see God's accuser. Satan comes up to God and he, he accuses God of making it too easy for the humans that God created to love him because he's always blessing them with good things. And, and the accuser came up to God and said one day, hey, if you stopped blessing them, you would see that they would stop loving you. It's kind of a very transactional approach. What Satan thought is that humans were a little bit more simple than God had actually made them. And so what he asked of God, he said, if you'll let me just kind of mess with some of the blessings, then you'll see how frail your relationship is and how little they actually love you. And so thus begins the hardest years of Job's life. Job's, um, his whole business is taken away. His savings account is emptied. His investments go to nothing. And he loses his family. But you know what Job doesn't lose is his friends. They show up in Job chapter 2, and they don't leave until Job chapter 26. This entire chunk of old writing is dedicated to how these friends walk through a hard time with Job. And spoiler alert, the friends do a really good job immediately. And then they're kind of bad friends. In fact, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible in a year, you probably stopped at Job chapter 5 because it felt like judgy Christians trying to like shame people into moral behavior. The first thing they do, I so love that Michelle Pemberton reminded me of this this week. She's our kid's pastor. And she reminded me, she goes, actually the Job's friends in the beginning of the story, they do the right thing. They show up in the moment of crisis and they just sit with Job in it and they don't try to answer any of his questions. Have you been there where you just need somebody to sit with you? Like a hard thing came up and you didn't even, you didn't want anybody to fix it. You just wanted them to shut up, right? You just want someone to be there with you just to know, like, I've got a friend here. And Job's friends do that. But then in Job chapter four, 
they start to go on a sin hunt. They start to prod into Job's life. It's, it's like they're looking for ground zero of Job's sin to figure out why God would let this happen. And over the course of this trial, as their friends continually push Job, they don't grab a shovel for the foxhole. They take the Bible and they hit him over the head with it. They reveal their true cares through the trial. Um, there's another saying by, uh, another ancient saying by a guy who lived 200 years before Jesus did. He was a Jewish scribe by the name of Ben Sira. This is not in the Bible, but this is uh, his version of the Bible from 200 BC. He says, a friend cannot be known in prosperity. This is why if you're a boss or if you're a leader or if you're someone who's uh, running, uh, you know, you're in charge of other people's livelihoods, you always are wondering like, or am I getting honest feedback from the people who I give paychecks to, Right? If you're a boss, you know like the most valuable person you can have around you is someone who's going to tell you the stinking truth, right? And not just smile and and laugh at your dumb jokes. The reason that this is true is because um, an enemy cannot be hidden in adversity. So a friend cannot be known in prosperity. Why? Because everything's going okay and there's no real test of it. And an enemy cannot be hidden in adversity because when the going gets tough, you see who's on your side or not. This is what the proverb is telling us. The proverb is is telling us that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity, that a a brother is going to be there in the midst of it. Now, this may all sound really strained and kind of like negative and kind of bleak to hear that time is going to test our friendships and tough times are going to test our friendships. But there's a word of hope baked into this proverb that I really want to show you today in the remaining couple minutes that I have left, because I think it's 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 a word of hope that maybe you can see. Let me just read this together one more time. A friend loves at all times. See if you can find the word of hope. The brother is born for adversity. Do you, do you see it? It's this word right here. It's born. A brother is born for adversity. A couple of chapters later in the Proverbs, there's a proverb that says that, um, that there is a, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Um, you know that experience in your family where like maybe you're not super close with everybody, but you got friends who are almost like blood relatives to you? It's a regular experience, right? And in that, there's a, there's a sense that that person was born for a specific reason, a specific calling. Uh, I was born for this. You ever say that? You ever look at your kids and they do something incredible and you go, you were just born to do this. It's like one of the greatest honors we can bestow upon anyone is to say, you're just naturally gifted. This is almost like your destiny. This is almost like your, your, your calling is to, is to live out this thing. And so if you think about it in that terms, a brother is born for adversity. That doesn't mean they're going to fight with you. That means that they're there. It's almost as if in the midst of your trial, some God has sent someone into the fight with you who has been uniquely crafted for your protection, for your survival, for your help, for your flourishing. That the greatest gift you could have in the midst of the trial is the, is the comfort and presence of a brother or a sister in your time of need. Brother is born for adversity. Here's the hope. Here's the hope is that God knows that we need him and we need each other. (laughs) And he gives people to us to help us in our time of need. Now, um, I hope you're a little uncomfortable with what I'm saying. I hope what I'm saying seems to you a little bit too, um, how shall I say, self-centered. I hope maybe what you're hearing me say is, um, you know, other people's opportunities to step into their calling are based upon your adversity. That actually sounds like the center of the bullseye 
is you. And if we could all be honest for a second, as you think about friendships, isn't it normal for us in our day and age to think about friendships as if, uh, if, I, if I put that bullseye back up here, is that, uh, you know, the outer rings are kind of like friends and I maybe hang out with them, but the middle, this is my stuff. This is my foxhole. This is what I need help with right here. And my friends are going to jump into this with me and carry me through. It's a very, um, like, Western idea that I am created for you to fulfill my dreams. <laughs> And you are, you are created to help me in my time of need. You see, that's not what this proverb is getting at at all. In fact, it's going to upend and flip that paradigm on its head. In the target of our friendships, what this, what this proverb is trying to teach us is that you don't receive a brother. <laughs> you are the brother. In fact, a friend loves at all times means we ought to be looking out for the ones who were prone to leave. When a brother is born for adversity is actually to show us that God has given us a calling and a destiny and it has nothing for us to, to, to be receiving all of the care and the help and the support, but, but actually for us to be the ones who are willing to jump into the foxholes with others for their sake. You are the brother. You are the sister. Friendship works best when you're not trying to get something out of it, but rather trying to give something to someone else. I mean, you know this. You've seen this in Jesus, right? This is exactly the same exact principle that, that Jesus came to this world with where, where he, he looked at us and he said, it's amazing that I, I missed this as a Jesus follower for so many years. In the, in the Bible, the fourth chapter of the Bible, the question gets asked, am I my brother's keeper? And the person who asks that question assumes the answer is no, not my responsibility, bro. But the answer that comes back to him in the fourth chapter of the Bible is yeah, you were born for this. And all throughout the Old Testament, as, as, as you read through the Bible, you see all these moments where God sends people to be friends to other people. As he sends Jonathan to go to David. He sends Elisha to go to Elijah. He sends um, Mordecai to go to Ruth. And then he sends Ruth to go to the king. But more than all of that, at just the right time, God sent himself into the world called himself Jesus, the Lord saves, to lost and broken people who were in a foxhole of futility. He jumped in and he fought our battles for us. In history, he defeated our enemy death and in sin and he died on the cross for people like us who were stuck in our cycles of sin and shame. And then Jesus even said things like this, greater love has no one than this than he laid down his life, you know this verse, for his friends. God's faithful to us in Jesus. He's always been faithful to us. He's always been there as a friend loves at all times. He's, he's always been there as if he was the one born for us in adversity, which means this, the question isn't this. It's not who are my friends. <laughs> that's, that's in some sense a, a very wrong question, a very wrong perspective for us. Here's the real question. It's, it's whose friend am I? If it's true that a friend loves at all times, if it's true that the example of God is that while we were in a foxhole, he jumped in there with us, then this proverb is telling us that you are the brother, you are the sister who is born for someone else's adversity. And man, doesn't that change something for you? Yeah, I really wish I knew this principle when I was younger. I wish I knew this when I was in college. Because I had some friends in, in college who came up to me at moments of real 
adversity in their life. And they were probably thinking we were really good friends. I thought we were really good friends. But I was approaching it from the perspective of what could I get from them? And in the midst of their struggles, I remember one friend in particular, he came to me and, and I didn't, he was asking me what I thought was for advice. <laughs> that was my own pride and my own selfishness kind of coming through. And looking back, I realized he was digging a foxhole and he was inviting me to jump in with him. I remember what I did. I, I didn't prove to be a good friend. I, I was more like Job's friends. I, I metaphorically put down the shovel and picked up a Bible and I remember giving him morality to his need for grace. I wonder if you've been there. I mean, we've all been there. This is what, one of the greatest knocks on Christians and Jesus followers that when people are hurting, we don't actually heal. What is it that brings people together? What is it that shows the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world? It's what Tom and Joe and Glenn showed us today. It's that we don't look at our foxholes as things to be protecting or defending or pleading for others to jump in with us, but actually your calling, what you were born for is to jump into the distress and the pain of others, to have your eyes open to the friends around you, to be the healer. And we talk about being Jesus' hands and feet all the time. And it kind of looks like picking up a shovel. It kind of looks like praying a prayer. It kind of looks like just being there when you see your friends are hurting. We don't often have a vision for decades old friendships. Some of us don't think it's possible. So I wanna thank Joe and Tom and Glenn just for the courage to just share their story of friendship for us. What Tom said at the end of that video is this. He said, I, I want that for everyone. He said, I want this type of friendship for everyone. And listen, I want that for you too. I want that for me too. And it starts by us remembering that God has been faithful to us every step of our journey. So I've invited the band to come and close us in a song. I'd love for you to stand right now as they lead us and to sing out as loud as you can to be reminded that God has been with us. And then in a moment, I'm gonna come back up and give us the next step for us to take. But for now, can we just respond to how good God has been in our lives? I mean, I don't know what you're going through today, but um, it's a good thing that God jumps into our foxholes with us. And as you go out from here, here's the big question is, do you have your eyes open to see the needs of others? You will never feel more alive than when you use the gifts God's given you to meet someone else's needs, especially the needs of your friends. And so, uh, Heartland, let's be those types of people who are born for other people's needs and challenges and adversities. Here's one great way you have right here, right now, and I'm letting you out a couple minutes early. Let it be known in the annals of Heartland history that you got out at this time. But this is how much we care about what we're about to do. Is that out in the atrium, um, we've made some space for you just to connect. There's literally causes of people who are asking for friends, needs, hopes, dreams, and, and maybe God has put it in you to meet that need. But it just starts, you're not jumping all the way down into the deep back-to-back -back stuff, but just face-to-face. -face. Can you just say hi? There's also people in different communities where we've just created things for you just to find your people. And that's so hard these days, but we're trying to make it really, 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 really easy. So, so don't, you know, go get your kids and then don't rush off. 
Um, the Chiefs don't play for weeks. You know what I mean? Like, you got, you got plenty of time. Um, but go mingle because we care so deeply about making space to build relationships. And I believe if you look for the needs of others, you'll never find a better calling in this life than that. We love you. God loves you. We'll see you next week.